Uh, hi, I'm Emma. I'm an addict. Um, I haven't done this in a while, so I'm kind of scared. Um, but I'm happy I'm here. Um, um, I'll start at the beginning. So there were like two main emotions that have been prevalent all of my life um, are fear and shame. Um, I'm not sure how those got instilled in me at such a young age. Um, but they followed me around forever. Um, I was a very scared kid. Um, I spent a lot of time thinking about the worst situation wherever I went. Um, I always had to figure out what I was going to do. I had like 15 different backup plans, um, and I had to save everyone. Um, and I remember when I was like five, I really started to understand that like the world can be bad and like people not everybody is good so I'd like lay my head down to go to sleep at night but I'd be thinking about how someone's gonna break in they're gonna like murder my whole family and they're gonna save me for last I don't know what they're gonna do to me but it's not gonna be good so I have to know I'm five I have to know how to fight I have to know, like, I have to know, I know my layout of the house. I'm, I'm going to have to jump, like, two stories, and that'll be okay. I'll tuck and roll. It'll be all fine. <laughs> and, like, I was, I was always ready for the worst. Um, and every time I went to bed, I would either, like, cry myself to sleep, or I'd be, like, praying my ass off, like, God, please, like, please let us make it through the night. Like, I love you so much. Like, I've never done anything bad. Like, please, please, please. <laughs> I had just, like, fully accepted the fact every night that I was going to die, and I didn't know how. Um, and then shame kind of has been around, I mean, forever. Like, when you're a kid and you lie and you get caught in a lie, you get kind of ashamed. You're like, oh, cook. Um, and I remember, like, I lied to my mom about using her, like, her, like, inside bike, because I, like, cut, I got a huge gash on my calf, and she was like, were you on my bike? I was like, no, it was not on your bike. And she was like, you have a huge gash that's, like, in the shape of a pedal. I was like, no, I didn't use your bike. <laughs> so, after that, I learned that, like, I had a very good family. Um, my dad, the bills were always paid. I have siblings. I'm the youngest. Um, the only thing that I can really complain about with my parents is, like, the lack of emotional connection that they were able to share with their kids. Um, and that's just, like, how they grew up and their parents and everything. Um, but I remember picking up on, like, if my mom is mad then everybody's mad and everything's fucked. So if, if she's mad, then I have to figure out how to make it right. I'm the reason she's upset or I'm the reason she's, up, she's upset or stressed out or sad. And I have to figure out like what to do to make it right. So I felt the responsibility to make sure that my mom was okay because then I would be okay. Um, so I never really understood how I felt in the moment. It was always like I'm either scared or angry let's see how mom feels, and if she's scared or angry, then we'll, like, fix how she's feeling. Um, and I'm not sure if any of my other siblings did that, but when I was, like, I don't know, when you're in, like, middle school, you have these, like, feelings of shame, right? Like, you're going through puberty, 
everything is changing. Um, and since I was like little, I had this terrible like conception of myself. Like it wasn't good or bad. It was like, I just felt like a blob. Like I didn't feel like a human being. I just kind of felt like these like skin bags that were like overflowing everywhere I went. <laughs> and like, it wasn't good, it wasn't bad, it was just uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable all the time. And I'd put on like cute clothes for middle school or I'd put on like makeup and I I just felt like someone was like dressing up a pig. Like I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> and I'd, I'd be scared to leave the house, you know? I spent most of middle school worrying about what people thought of me, um, what they were gonna say to me, um, what they were thinking about me, um, and trying to control all of that. So I was never really myself in any school setting. I got branded as like the quiet, nice, polite girl, which I can't be, but that's not all that I am. Um, so I was that girl throughout most of my academic career. Um, but since I felt so uncomfortable with myself and I really didn't want to be myself, I looked at what other people were doing and I did what they did. So I just kind of masked my personality in middle school and if like someone, I think like, yeah, One Direction was popping off. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm a Louie girl. Like I love 1D and like I made that part of my personality and yeah. like Tumblr was in and it was like pro Anna Tumblr. If you don't know what that is, fuck you. <laughs> so it was like, I had all of these different outlets and all like, access to all of these things where I could figure out like what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable, what should I look like, what should I wear, what should I not wear, how should I talk, what should I not say, um, all of that stuff so I could feel fine at school and I'd feel safe. Um, and I never really thought about it until I like started running track um, one day in like seventh grade my friend came up to me and she was like hey do you want to be the last leg on our relay team I was like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about but let's do it girl and, <laughs> and I had no idea what I was signing up for um, I I did find a very good group of girls in that track team. Um, it was the first time I had felt like I met people that understood me. They understood like my quirks and like I guess OCD tendencies that we all ended up sharing. Um, and they just understood me. And I never, I never had that. Um, but I was too scared to be myself around them. So I got to know all of these wonderful people, but they didn't really get to know me. They thought they were getting to know me, but they were just meeting like 30% of my personality. It was never like I was fully connected with them. Um, and you know, all, all that's going on, the shame's building. Um, like every eighth grade girl, I got an eating disorder um, and that fucked my life up a lot. Um, it ruins, it completely fucks up your perception of reality. I mean, you spend all of your time in your head um, and it just it just hijacks everything that you're thinking about. Um, you you can't live a life if you're just in your eating disorder. It was brutal. Um, so I had a lot of you know I already had voices in my head being like, 
you're disgusting, like no one likes you, like you don't have any friends, you're like this grotesque monster. And then this other newly developed voice where it's like, you're actually like fat or too skinny and disgusting and like maybe you shouldn't eat dinner tonight and that'll solve your problems. And I was like, yeah, that'll solve all my problems. Um, and I kind of, I went along with that for a while. Um, then when I was like 14, um, my friend and I, my friend was like kind of turning into a party girl. Um, and I loved her so much that I was just like, I was hanging out with her. I didn't really care what she was doing, right? I didn't know if it was bad or good. I just knew that I love her. She's having fun. So like, let's hang out with her. Um, and that was when Uber dropped. So like, we were in Ubers all the time for some reason. We were fucking 14. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we're in an Uber coming from South Austin to like Bee Cave. And the Uber driver, just like this grimy dude in his like mid-20s. And my friend like had already learned how to manipulate people. So she like manipulated him into like, he was a pedophile to be honest. Um, so she figured out like, oh, he's actually disgusting. So she talked to him a little bit and he would get us alcohol in exchange for her number. So she gave, <laughs> she gave, her, she gave him her number and the alcohol we got was a 24 ounce strawberryita and a 24 ounce Dos Equis. And she, and, and my friend was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, what do you mean what is this? Like, don't we just drink it? Like, what are you talking about? Um, so then we get home, she like blocks the Uber driver and like reports him. And, <laughs> and, and we're sitting in her bathroom just drinking. Like I remember I drank the strawberryita and I was like, that's good, but it's so sweet. And then I drank the Dos Equis, I was like, why is this hitting right now? Like, why is this so good? <laughs> I didn't understand. Um, and after a while, you know, like we went outside and we were talking and I felt it, you know, that feeling everyone talks about. I was like, everything was lifted off of my shoulders and off of my chest. Like, I was finally, it was like in Get Out, like the sunken place when the guy's just like, oh, like floating and like you see the square of like reality. When he like comes back, like that's how I felt. I was like, holy shit, like I'm, I'm here. Like I'm with my friend right now. Like. There's no, I'm not filtering anything. I'm experiencing this. I'm laughing. She's laughing. Like, she likes me. This is insane. And I never, I didn't, I never felt like that before. Honest, never. And I fucking loved it. Um, the next day, I tried to go on a run because I was still running track. And I remember I stopped. It was like a beautiful day. I stopped running and I was like, why am I running? when I could literally be drinking on this, like, beautiful day. Like, this is fucking stupid. I'm wasting my time. <laughs> and so after that, um, things escalated pretty quickly, but I'll wait to get to that. Um, I ended up, I was good at track, um, but I quit because I kept getting, like, stress fractures and, like, everything was fucked. Um, so eventually I was like, you know what? Everyone wants me to do this more than I actually want to do it, so I'm going to quit. And I'll just, like, I don't know, drink and do drugs. And one time my friend was like, Emma, you're literally a statistic. And I was like, you're right. Um, <laughs> but when I was, I think I was a freshman in high school, I had quit running track. Um, my best friend 
that went to school with me and was a part of my track team went to a different school. So I was a freshman and I didn't really have any other people in my life that I understood or that understood me. It all felt like just a facade and it was exhausting and I didn't want to deal with it. Um, so when I quit track, it was like another piece of my identity had been taken away. Um, and I didn't know what to do with that. So I smoked weed out of a Coke can. And that was, <laughs> and that was like, I didn't, I didn't get high. And I was like, this is a waste of time. And then a couple weeks later, my friend was like, do you want to try Xanax? I was like, that's a weird name. Like, let's do it. Um, so I, like, I took it. And then I, I get a call from my mom. And I don't remember the whole conversation, obviously, but she called me and she's like, Emma, like, we're going to have to put, like, Jack down, our, do our family dog. Like, we're going to have to put him down today. I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, do you want to come? Um, and that dog had been with me my whole life. Like, we got him when I was four. I had him for ten years. I'd, like, hang out with him every morning. Um, and then I did Xanax for the first time, and immediately I couldn't show up for my mom, and I couldn't show up for my sister, and I couldn't show up for our perfect little Shetland sheepdog that we had. And I, honestly, I, I didn't feel anything. And I didn't feel anything about it for a long time, because I was like, he was going to die anyway. Um, and you'd think, like, being an anxious person, I'd put two and two together, that like I did this drug for the first time and then my fucking dog died that like maybe using isn't good. But instead I was like, no, this gives me even more reason to use, brother. And I <laughs> everything after that um, escalated really quick. Um, I was, I had to be high all the time. Um, I couldn't not be high. If I was, you know, if I'd, I think I'd gone like 12 hours at one point without being high, and it was just god-awful. It was like it was like I was peeling the skin off of my face, and like there was just screams, and I was like, I can't fucking live like this. Like, I'd look around, and I'd be like, all of these people, like, you're walking around sober all day. Like, do you not know you can be fucked up? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you can get through the day and, like, enjoy it. Like, you don't have to be miserable. And I still, sometimes I still think that. But I, <laughs> I, I had a lot of bad experiences when I was using. And pretty soon I was drinking, like, on the way to school, in school, you know, ditching class and, like, smoking in the w woods. Or then, like, at lunchtime I'd, like, take a Xanax and then I'd drink in the bathroom again. And, like, after school, I'd be like, let's do a psychedelic or two. Let's just have a little fun with it. Um, and pretty soon, that was, like, an, that was my every day. Um, and I couldn't imagine not doing that every day. Um, so I got pulled out of school. And I just kept doing that, you know. I was sneaking out all the time. I was running away. Um, I was a fucking bitch to my mom and my dad. I was terrible. Um... I had, it had gotten to the point where I was just so, like, soulless that I'd just, like, steal cash from my grandpa. I'd steal cash from my dad. I stole my sister's ID. 
I committed bank fraud. I don't know how, and I still don't fully understand it, but like, <laughs> my, my mom had to like pay a lot of money and like to make sure I didn't get in trouble, so. And after that, I was like, well, maybe my brother shouldn't have kept a check around that was already cashed. Um, I was like, it's his fault. Um, so once everything started to add up and I got caught a couple times, um, it was like one morning I woke up at, like, I just got back home, so it was like 5.30, and my dad wakes me up, and he's like, hey, Emma, like, we're sending you to Indiana because we don't know what to do with you. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so I, like, sprout out of my bed, and I, like, run downstairs, and my mom and my sister are there. My dad's gone. Um, he was like, I can't talk about it. got to go to work. I was like, okay. So my mom and dad, my mom and my sister are standing there, and I'm already in hysterics. I'm like, Mom, like, don't make me go. Like, I can't leave. At least let me say bye to my friends. And she was just stone cold, like, no. Like, you're leaving. You're not staying here. Um, so I looked at my sister, and I was like, Annie, like, you know me. I'm your little sister. Like, I can fucking stop. Like, look at me. Like, look at me. I'll stop. I can stop. Just, like, like being absolutely insane and my and my sister just looking at me like no like you can't stay here and you know I freaked out through fucking tantrum and my mom was like well you were gonna leave in a week but we can leave today um and I was like fucking bitch so she packs my bag she packs a bag she gets me in the car we drive to Dallas um because there were no connecting flights there were no like direct flights to Indiana at that point but we spend four hours in the car together. Um, she sits with me at the airport till my flight. She walks me through security. She waits till I board the plane and she waits for the plane to take off to make sure I don't, there's no shenanigans. Um, and at that point I did have a plan. I like, I had been researching like campsites in Colorado for like a couple months. And I was like, I found a couple and I was like, I can just go to Walmart and get a tent. So in my head, I was like, I was like, my mom's gonna put me up in the airport. I'm somehow I'm gonna switch my ticket to Colorado, and like I'm gonna go to this campsite and smoke weed for the rest of my life, and everything's gonna be totally fine. I'm 16. I can handle anything. Um, so I'm on this plane to Indiana, and I'm just like, I haven't had anything to use all day. I just I'm fucked. Um, so my aunt and uncle pick me up. And they were living with my grandparents at the time. Um, so all my cousins were there. So like I immediately tried to like I like looked at all my cousins and was like trying to figure out which one of them would like be chill and like want to do drugs. <laughs> and like I found one of them, but he was like, No, I'm not doing that with you. I was like, Fuck you. So I got cigarettes from him, but for the first couple of nights I was in Indiana, I did anything I could to get high. I like stole my grandpa's Delsum and like, which was just cough syrup. And it was nasty, I just felt sick. Like nothing helped, it didn't do anything. Um, and then I, he had like a bunch of pills and I would just like take them and be like, hopefully something happens. <laughs> <clears throat> and, I, and I had the audacity to be like, I don't need to be here. Like I don't have a problem, all my friends did this. Like this is a normal experience. Um, and those first couple of nights when I was there were very hard. Um, I had felt cripplingly alone. It felt like a bullet went through my chest. I like didn't think I, I didn't feel like I could breathe. Um, 
I was so scared. Like, I felt like I had fucked everything up. I felt so ashamed. My family hated me. Like, my dad would barely talk to me. I literally forgot I had a brother because I didn't talk to him. I just stole money from him. I, like, literally disconnected from everybody and thought I'd be better off dead. Um, but I didn't want to kill myself because I was too scared. Um, so while I was in Indiana, I was there for, like, six, eight months. Um, and when I was up there, I was like, I'm not going to do drugs. I don't trust the drugs up here. I'll just drink. Um, so that's when my alcoholism really, really popped off. Um, I, it gotten to the point where, you know, I was getting in trouble. I was, like, stealing from Kroger and they have alcohol in grocery stores in the Midwest. That's stupid. That's crazy. They don't do that here, um, which is crazy. Um, so they had a lot of supply. Uh, and once I like got my hands on some whatever, um, I was smoking in my grandma's basement, and I had started like something. It was laced with something. I don't fucking know what, but like my teeth felt they were like on fire I couldn't see right I was convincing myself I had multiple personalities and I like run upstairs to my grandpa and like grandpa like I'm going crazy and he was like what are you talking about I was like I've been smoking this shit I don't know I don't know what it is and like it makes me feel so crazy but I can't not do it and he was like what are you talking about I was like grandpa I'm either going to kill myself or use this for the rest of my life and be miserable. <laughs> and I, I, don't, I can't do either of those things. And he was like, okay, like, calm the fuck down. So we, like, drove around town, and we went to a couple of, like, um, treatment centers, and they were all full. So I finally got plugged into a dual diagnosis unit at an intensive outpatient program. Um, and I didn't take it seriously at first. I was like, these bitches are sad, and all they have to do is do drugs, and they'll be fine. Um, and then, and then I was I was sitting there, and I saw one girl that was just really struggling. Like, even the counselors were like having a hard time with her. So I started paying attention to her, and then I started paying attention to everybody else in the group. And they had all had a different reason for coming to this program, but they all had the same like emotions and fears and like everything they were describing is everything I had felt and I I was like holy shit like these people get it I'm not I'm not the only one that has been carrying this burden my entire life like they're my age too like they've been able they're graduating the IOP program like they've got their shit together like one of them's got a boyfriend like that's crazy <laughs> and like I felt I felt so seen, and I hadn't felt that since, you know, I had been using uh, before it got very miserable. Um, I still didn't take it seriously. I was drinking, um, and then they told me to go to an AA meeting, and I was like, okay. So I go to a random AA meeting that I found online, and I don't have any expectations. I don't, I don't know what AA is. Um, so I walk in there, and it is just all, like, white old men in, like, their 80s. And I was, I was the only woman there. I was the only one. I was 17. Felt very out of place. And they were all sharing about, you know, they had lost their farm. They lost their wife. They, like, crashed their truck. 
they like lost all their livestock or whatever and I was like I was like I was sitting there I was like hold on like you guys you accumulated a farm you accumulated livestock you have a wife and you had time to fuck it all up like I was like like I'm coming back in 76 years like I have enough time I'm on borrowed time babe um so I walked out of there and I never looked back um and I don't know what I don't know what changed. Um, it, I guess it was definitely God. Um, but on Halloween in 2017, that was the last time I ever took a drink. Um, and I started taking like the IOP program seriously. Um, I was finally able to understand my thoughts and my feelings, um, not to the extent that I do now, but everything. It was like the puzzle was coming together, and I was able to understand. You know, how I ended up here, why I do this when this happens. Um, and I felt, I felt safe, and I didn't feel like I was on the run anymore. And that's all I wanted. I just wanted to feel good and warm and safe and not like my ass was on fire and I was about to get murdered. Um, so I moved back home to Austin in like 20... It was like December 2017, I think. Um, and I didn't really have an intention on staying sober. Um, I still didn't fully understand what it meant. Um, and you know those people that are like, yeah, I'm sober. I just I just drink on the weekends. I'd be, like, I'd be like, yeah, I can do that. Um, I didn't even try it because I knew it was fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> so I... I'm stuck in my house, right? I'm in my house for like two months just watching like YouTube conspiracy videos, not using. And I, I, can't, I can't leave the house because if I leave the house, I'm going to go hang out with my old friends and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get fucked up. Um, so I was like, you know what? I did that AA meeting. Everyone was old. So what if I went somewhere where a lot of old people aren't? So I Googled young people AA meetings and I found one on UT campus. And I was like, let's go there. Um, and then I had enough time to think about it, and I was like, let's tell them that we're going there, and then we'll actually go hang out with our old friends, and we'll just, like, fuck around a little bit. Um, but they knew exactly how I worked. So my mom was like, nope, I'll drive you. I was like, okay. Um, so, <laughs> so we hop in the car, and, like, the whole time I'm like, oh, just let us get in a fucking car crash. Like, I don't want to go. <laughs> and I get there, and it's about, like, five people all young um some people pick up chips at the end of the meeting i'm like that's cool i have three months and i'm not making a big deal out of it um and then i told someone that and they're like you have to pick up your chips i was like what are you talking about um so i ended up picking up my chips and i was talking to this dude and he was like you need a sponsor i was like how do i get a fucking sponsor what are you talking about um and he was like, it's someone that, like, takes you through the steps. And, like, they'll explain the program to you. And I was over here. I was like, how do these fuckers get sponsored by, like, Coca-Cola and Red Bull? What the fuck are you doing? How do you have those connects? I don't fucking get it. Um, and then my friend was like, let me give you this girl's number. You text her. And I was like, oh, God, okay. So I texted her this long paragraph. I was like, I'm so lonely. I'm terrified. I, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even, I don't want to go back to that meeting. I want to use, like, tell me what to do. Um, and so I, she answers my text. I don't remember what she says, but we get to work extremely fast. Um, 
And the way we did step one is I wrote down like 10 ways my life was like unmanageable and then 10 things I was like powerless over um, that weren't drugs and alcohol. And that was a big thing for me to see. I was like, oh, it's not just the alcohol and the drugs. It's like me, I've got a problem. Um, and we took our time with step two and step three. Um, my fourth step, everyone hyped the fuck out of it. Like I was, I was terrified to do the fourth step. Um, but it was, honestly, it was, it was nice because I got to like relive all the situations that made me angry and I love being angry. <laughs> so I, I got, I wrote down everyone I was mad at, you know, from age five to 17. And I was able to get it all out there. And at that point I was so desperate. Like, I don't remember feeling ashamed of the things I had done. I just remember feeling like I needed to get all of this out and I needed to have someone hear it so I wouldn't, it couldn't get to me anymore. I had to get it out there and someone had to, you know, receive it with grace and that's what my sponsor did. Um, and she explained to me like my character defects and from then on, like we did, I did the sixth step. I didn't know how to meditate. I put on whale noises because I was like, this is, this will help me chill out. And, you know, I laid there for, like, an hour. I was like, nothing's happening. <laughs> I was like, my sponsor told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, and that's how I got through most of the steps. Um, it was like, I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know what to look for. I just did it because this girl said I should do it, and I trusted her. Um, so eventually I get, like, to the 12th step. Yeah, I can sponsor. And I realized... My sponsor and I are completely different people. She got me to where I needed to be. She got me through everything. She was the right person at the right time, but I needed something else. Um, so I found another sponsor. And when I had like one year, I got a boyfriend. Um, that was in, he was in the rooms. And because if you wait one year to date, then you find the love of your life in surprise. <laughs> 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 um, and that relationship did not last that long. Um, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. We just both had like the emotional like capability of a 14-year-old on their period for the first time. <laughs> like, we didn't know how to communicate. It was it was awful. Um, I think he's still sober, so, like, I did pick a winner, but um, <laughs> after, after, we br after we broke up, we broke up, I milked the fuck out of it, I was so sad, I'd, I'd cry at every meeting, and people would be like, oh my god, how long were we all together, I was like, three months, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it felt like the biggest deal to me. Um, so I did what, you know, every heartbroken young girl does. I went on Tinder. I was like, I got it. I was like, I didn't have any intention of meeting up with anyone. I was like, I was like, I just want to hear that I'm pretty and I'm cute and that people want to hang out with me. Um, so I did it for validation. Um, and I got it. Um, and there was this guy on there that, you know, he asked me my story and at that time, I was, like, preaching to everyone. I'm like, I'm sober. I'm in AA. Like, I'll, I'm changing my life. And, and so I told him that. And I told him, like, 
you know, what my DOC was and all this. And he was like, no way, that's crazy. Like, I'm a heroin addict. Um, he's like, I was in the Army, like, I'm in culinary school. And, like, since he was an addict, I felt like we had an automatic bond, like, just because that's how I feel of all of you guys. Like, you just fucking get everything. So I was like, oh, my God. Like, I don't have to explain all of this. Like, you understand. Um, but then the, you know, the fifth time we hung out, he raped me. And I spent the next, you know, three months in a relationship with an evil man that would physically, mentally, and sexually abuse me. Um, and I, when I was in it, I didn't really understand what was going on, you know, because I was so scared. Um, I just knew that when he's mad or he's doing some fuck shit, trying to make me feel crazy, like, I just have to do whatever I can to get out of the situation. Um, so I was in, you know, fight or flight for a good amount of time. And one of my friends, I talked to her, and I told her some of the things he did, not even, like, the terrible shit. And she was like, Emma, that's horrible. Like, you need to break up with him. I was like, literally how? Um, and she was like, okay, just FaceTime me and then call him on the phone. So I FaceTimed my friend. He's, like, telling me all this stuff, trying to get me not to leave, and she's like, Emma, this is what he's doing, like, say this. So I just verbatim, I would say what she said to me, say it to him, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got through it, and I hung up the phone with both of them, and I was like, what the fuck do I do now? Like, I was sitting there, and nothing, I, I still didn't really understand the extent of the abuse yet, because um, I didn't want to. Um, so you, like, like, the next maybe two months, everything started, you know, my brain started to unveil everything to me again. Um, and I, at that point, I had figured out, like, he was never a heroin addict. He wasn't even in the Army. He wasn't in culinary school. I had no idea who this fucker was, right? I don't know who hurt me. I don't know who who raped me. I don't know who this guy is. Like, how do I, how do I grieve this relationship how do I process this, and how do I get over it? Um, so at that point, everything felt, I didn't trust anything, right? Everything felt fake. Um, I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust reality. I didn't trust the people around me. Nothing felt real, you know? Like, it felt like my, my soul had gotten ripped out of my body, and, like, my heart was just, like, crushed by, like, a meat cleaver. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do, like... I'm so fucking sad and terrified, and I had never felt like that kind of pain before. Because um, before I got sober, it was like like internal pain, right? I had been inflicting it. Um, only sometimes it would come from an outside source, but this felt so much more personal and so much more real um, that since I had learned how to you know, let all of these lies and things I tell myself, I learned to give that to my higher power and trust on my higher power. I was like, how in the world do I get rid of all of this? Like, this is going to be with me for the rest of my life. Um, so at that point, I knew the only real thing I had was my sobriety. I was like, well, you know, I, I, I know I haven't drank in like a year and a half. I haven't used in a year and a half. I, I know my sponsor is like a real person. I know meetings are real, so I just, like, bare bones my life. I, I, I knew my dog, work, meeting, sleep, and that's, like, what I did for probably six months. I was just detached from reality. I wasn't there. 
the only thing that I talked to really was my higher power because at that point if if I was alone I wasn't I was something I was gonna kill myself or I was gonna use but at that time I was like I don't want to give him like the satisfaction of using or the satisfaction of me killing myself because like that motherfucker would get off on it or whatever um, so it started out as pride but then I really really leaned into my higher power and that really changed a lot of my sobriety it went from me you know just going to meetings half-heartedly and like trying to connect with women but not really connecting with women kind of overcomplicating the fuck out of everything um, to just keeping it really 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 simple um, I couldn't overthink if I overthought then everything like this wasn't real I AA was like fake blah 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 um, so I just had to trust that my higher power was like doing something for me he, he was there like that's all I knew um, and then for the next like year I was just kind of disassociated from reality still like the only I would talk to my friends but I wasn't really there it was just kind of like a ghost um, like my family knew what was going on so I could like cry with them and like hang out with them um, but I really didn't I wasn't really living a life anymore I was just kind of like existing you know like a little cockroach just refusing to die um, and I remember like I don't know what happened, but, like, something happened where I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to, my life is meaningful, I guess, so I'm going to do something. And I started to really trust my sponsor, and I started to really trust the program, and instead of just, like, talking to God, like, only talking to God every day, I had to reach out to people, I had to do something. Um, and that started with, you know, asking people how their day is. How's your day? What'd you do today, girl? Like, what's up? Um, doing service work. You know, I tried to have sponsees, but I'm so bad at answering my phone that, you know, I wouldn't hear from them after we'd get to the fourth step, which, like, is totally valid. Because why, <laughs> why would you want a sponsor that doesn't talk to you? Um, but since I've had that experience, I've learned that service work can, it's, it can appear in a multitude of ways, right? In and outside of the rooms. If I'm in the rooms, you know, I can ask people how their day is, clean up the trash, clean up the kitchen, and get out of myself. Um, but if I'm not in the rooms, which for the past, like, four years I've been in school, um, then I can just, like, ask these girls how their day is going, like, do my teachers need help with anything? So I relied heavily on getting out of myself, and that brought me back to, you know, feeling sane and feeling real, because I knew that these actions were real, and I was, like, participating in other people's livelihood. Um, and one of the, like, biggest things that I've gotten out of sobriety is that ability to create, like, a safe space for somebody, because, like I said before, all I really wanted like since I was little, when I was using, and like even now, I just wanted to be able to go up to someone and be like, I'm so scared, I'm so stressed out, I'm so fucking sad, like I don't know what to do. And to have them just like, you know, embrace me and accept me, not try to fix my problems, not give me advice, just be like, 
that fucking sucks. Like, that's horrible. And just feel connected with someone. That's all I wanted. And now that I've been sober and I've gone through all this shit and I've done all the steps, I'm able to be there for people. I'm able to show up authentically. I'm able to, you know, make jokes and be okay if people don't laugh, even though it's uncomfortable. And I can be honest with women and not have them get angry at me. I can be honest with my family. And I have insanely good relationships with my family now. Like, I thought my mom was a fucking bitch, but we get along so well. Like, I love her so much. Um, We hang out. She was my best friend for, like, the first three years of my sobriety. We did everything together. Um, I never thought I'd be able to, like, care about my sister, and now I, like, tolerate her, and I love her. (laughs) Like, I didn't know that was possible. Um, And to be able to just, like, meet a random person on, like, a Tuesday afternoon, they just say their name, and they say they're an alcoholic, and I'm like, yeah, brother, I get it. Like, that's insane. Like, I I never thought I'd find a community where I felt safe, like, truly safe. I'm not looking over my shoulder, like, is someone going to come in? I'm not feeling like I have to protect myself all the time. Like, I'm here with people that are, like, good-hearted for the most part, and I can put my trust in them, and I can put my trust in God that this meeting is going to give me something. If it doesn't, then I wasn't trying hard enough to listen. Um... And I can leave the rooms, you know, a little bit better than I was when I walked in. Um, And I never thought that I'd be able to look myself in the mirror. And I can do that now. And I can talk to a group full of people I don't know and be really scared and sweaty the whole time. Um, But that's all I have. That's my story.